Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1 through 13, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1 through 11, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, and Psalm 138. It is my pleasure to be able to stand before you this chilly morning in Cincinnati. I am the Reverend Dr. Mark Andrew Jefferson, and I bring greetings all the way from Alexandria, Virginia, at the Virginia Theological Seminary, where I'm an assistant professor of homiletics. as a fancy word for preaching. So you can tell folks that you learned a new word today. So as a homiletics professor, I'm glad that Father Phil invited me to be able to share with you all. It is um, deep joy that brings me here, deep love and affection brings me from Honolulu last week to Cincinnati this week. <laughs> only, only deep love and affection, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> um, the reason why I'm here is that our seminary turns 200 years old in 2023. So for 200 years, we've been putting out priests who've gone all over the world to share the gospel. And I am here as a representative of the seminary to bring light to that work and to also gather information from around the world about how we can be more effective in the next 200 years. The Dean and President of our institution asked me if I would be willing to preach 200 sermons to uh, commemorate such an occasion. And uh, I said yes before I did the short math <laughs> and recognized that this would be the, the lion's share of a five-year journey. And I will say that it has been a joy, it has been a struggle, it has been one of the most enriching experiences of my life to be able to travel around the world, to be able to share the gospel and to see the ways in which God is yet at work in the lives of those who call on his name. And so to be a Church of the Redeemer this day means a great deal. And as a particular stroke of God's uh, superintention, um, I am in Cincinnati this week, and then my next uh, long-distance travel will be Los Angeles. So, and so clearly, I should have worked out the Super Bowl thing <laughs> ahead of time, and maybe I wouldn't have to preach, right? So, but that's all right. God is good. Um, Father Phil was kind enough to allow me to understand where Church of the Redeemer is, and so we'll be working out of the epistle this morning. So for, for four services, we'll be having four different approaches to the epistle with the sprinkling of the gospel and of the Hebrew Bible. And so I am glad to be with you today. It makes my heart very glad. And thank you all for braving the cold as a Cincinnati thing to do. But the time that's ours this morning, I'd like to briefly share with you from this thought, a conjunction at the crossroads, a conjunction at the crossroads. The church in Corinth was an intentional plant by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul understood by being a Roman citizen, but yet being Jewish, that there was tremendous influence there in Corinth. It found itself wedged in between, it found itself on the isthmus, wedged between the mainland and the Peloponnesian Peninsula, so that it was a crossroads, if you will. This port town was busy and bustling with life, with its cosmopolitan flair and its cosmopolitan temptations. 
This was a church at the crossroads of the Roman world. So much was happening. So much could happen. So much might happen. A city that went from being destroyed by the Romans to being rebuilt by the Romans to now operating at its height. Corinth there in Greece, understanding its role as the the supercharged economic and cultural center of that area seemed to be the ideal place for the Apostle Paul to spread this message of the Messiah. But it seems that opportunity and chaos meet at this crossroads because it's at this crossroads that the Apostle Paul planted a church that had to figure out what it meant to be faithful in a world that calls us away from that self-same call. How can this church full of Gentiles with a sprinkling of diaspora Jews be faithful to a tradition that they did not quite understand at a fledgling church that they were trying to keep afloat? And the Apostle Paul pinning this in Ephesus, understanding and hearing about the struggles that they're having, real life struggles, struggles of who is in and who's out. Struggles about what to do with our bodies in relationship to one another. Struggles about what should we eat and what should we not eat. Struggles about, more importantly, and where we find ourselves in this text this morning. Struggles about, is the resurrection really important? It seems silly, you would think. Would the resurrection be important? But in fact, this is the button that pins down 1 Corinthians because Paul understands that if they do not make sense of the resurrection, then everything else that he says makes no sense. He responds to their church struggles with gospel. They talk about sacrificing food to idols. He responds with the gospel. They talk about sexual immorality. He responds with the gospel. And so he leaves them with this gospel declaration about the importance of the resurrection, where there were some who did not believe in the bodily resurrection. Those Greeks, they had this Gnostic understanding of thinking. In this Gnostic understanding, the body was seen as dirty. It was seen as less than. It was seen as sinful. And as much as we could shed this body, the closer we could be to transcending to a higher plane. So this disregard for the body led to much of the frustration that they had in that church. Because if they could not respect their own body, they certainly could not respect the body of Christ. This dislocated body led them to a place where the Apostle Paul had to raise a conjunction to get them to think about the importance of what God is up to. He simply says to them, he says, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, if this conjunction that holds together these clauses, he says, if, which means you have the power to continue to hold on to this complex and contrary message or you have the power to let it go. This power, this ability to hold on to something that the world would see as foolish. Paul writes earlier in 1 Corinthians that this gospel is foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. 
He understands that in this cosmopolitan place of free-flowing ideas, where orators will come and give their best speeches to entice the ears and grab the hearts of the listeners. He understood that this gospel message of a dead and risen savior would not necessarily tickle the ears or entice the hearts of those who have their affections set on temple prostitutes and food sacrificed to idols. But he says to them, in a world that demands your total allegiance to it, in a time in which temple worship of the emperor was seen as right and just. He is saying to them that you must make a distinction with your life. To follow Christ causes us to be pulled away from this world. And we find ourselves like they find themselves. Corinth at the crossroads. Dare I say Cincinnati at the crossroads. There's not much difference between this place and that place. You would imagine that 2,000 years would separate us in such ways that we were not able to make sense of what happened then and what happened now. But it's interesting that the city on seven hills then speaks to the city on seven hills now. We're not that far away from the temptation to be led away by our lust, led away by our divisions, led away by our class structure, led away by our individual picadillos and predilections. But Paul is saying that we have the power to make the choice to be different in this world. We can be salt and we can be light. This if grabs us at the heart because every morning we have the chance to make the choice if we are going to follow the way of the ragged cross and of the cast out redeemer or are we going to follow the ways of a cosmopolitan world that says everything is okay as long as you don't bother me but this gospel calls us to be deeper and wider than we ever imagined because the gospel stretches us to our dimensions limit and then invites us to go further. The gospel calls us to go deeper because at the point in which we can't go deeper, God calls us all the more as the deepness of God calls to the deepness of God in us. It is this if, it is this clause that goes before and after that it frames our way of making sense of the world. Because the possibility of what we can attain if we follow Jesus is ever before us. But the willing destruction of our body in this world are ever before us as well. It would seem to some that having the power to create and to destroy would be a daunting task. Technology allows us to do more than we've ever done. But I would question, are we better off because of it? We are more connected than ever, but our society degenerates at such a fast rate that we can't see the progress if there is any. Young people depressed from social media. Older people wondering if their retirement is going to make it. Middle-aged people like myself wondering if we are going to ever be able to retire. Wanting to buy homes and can't afford it. Cities rampant with crime. Crime with the white collar. Crime at the blue collar. Crime at the no collar. We are at a crossroads, my friend. God is calling us to choose rightly. But choose we must. 
and the choices that we make will be the defining legacy of our times. Will we continue to choose not choosing, which is a choice itself? Or if this opportunity at the crossroads leaves us with the space to do more. The disciples in the gospel text found themselves saying if because they were facing the same possibility of what could happen if they had the desire to branch out, unable to catch fish. Jesus says, I want you to do something different. Peter's response was if you said so. Peter understood that the ask seemed to be so insurmountable that the ask and the outcome seemed to be irreconcilable. But it wasn't about the ask. It was about who was doing the telling. For it was Jesus who told him to do it. It is the same Jesus who spoke to Paul on that road and changed his life forever. For Paul was also at that crossroads of if. So he downloads these experiences into the life of this Corinthian church to give them a way forward or to give them the possibility of choosing the way back. But what they cannot do and what we cannot do is stay the same. The world is calling us to continue to dance his dance and to sing his song all the way to perdition and destruction. It has no answers for us, friend. For if there was an answer that this world could provide, it would have already given it to us. So clearly, the question is not, what can the world offer us as a way of salvation? But the question becomes, what are we going to do with the salvation that we already have? For Paul says, it is saving them right now. The choices, the worldview, the abstention from things. The distinction from things are actually saving them while they're alive so that the cross of Christ at the crossroads in Corinth, like the crossroads here in Cincinnati, are inviting us to live different. How can this church continue to serve the world and to serve God in the midst of these strange times? These are questions that only you all can answer. But as someone who has been able to travel about near and far, I'm here to tell you that you are not the only ones seeking to make sense of that. God is calling you to something deeper and to something higher. This city for much of its history has been a way in which people have made a way forward. The immigrant, the left out, but also those who found a way to move up have also found ways to let others not. So the question becomes, what shall we do and how shall we live? The if is up to you.